Open your Bible to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Keys to freedom for your life. Keys to freedom for your life. Today we begin a, a short series, Keys to Freedom for Your Life. I do believe these keys that we are going to be covering in this series can have a, this is not a hype, this is not an exaggeration, a profound impact on your life. Today we are covering the, perhaps the most important, and in fact, certainly the foundation of all the other keys. It's the key that unlocks all the others, okay? Romans chapter five, if you have a Bible. Now as we start this new series, Keys to Freedom for Your Life, let me say, and you're probably glad about this, I've never spent time in jail, (laughs) and hopefully never will, I can't imagine what it would be like to live behind bars, separated from your family, separated from your friends, separated from the freedoms that we just simply take for granted, being able to come and go as you please and, 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 and live your life and enjoy the liberty and the freedom we have outside of jail. I can't imagine what that would be like, especially for an extended period of time. Now, for those who serve their time and then go through it and uh, are then set free, I would imagine that's an unforgettable experience. Walking out that door, you've been there for years and you walk out that door and here's this world that has been, you've been estranged to for quite a while. Yet today, even though you're here today and a lot are maybe watching this or listening to this, Most people who are not behind bars physically are in fact behind bars spiritually. In fact, they are in bondage. They are incarcerated by sin. Now you may think, well, uh, you know, wait a minute. I'm not such a bad person. Well, we're going to get to that today. I want you to pay careful attention as we start talking about these keys. Now what is a key? A key is something that unlocks the door. Okay, there's a door, it's got a lock on it. Uh, You can't get in if you don't have the right key. You get the key, you unlock it, and then you have access, okay? You can either go in, you can either go out with that. Keys to freedom for your life. The first key that we're gonna cover today is, as I mentioned, perhaps the most important. As a matter of fact, it is the most important. And it is the freedom of trusting Christ the Savior. Now, I know many of you here today, you know this one. But the great temptation you're going to have today during this message is to tune out and and you'll have a kind of like, yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. I know this. I understand it. Listen, never get tired of your foundation. If you don't have a solid foundation, you don't have anything, friend. And as believers, you know, I love to tell the story for for those who know it best, seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. That's the way it should always be for us. And so let us look at this, the freedom of trusting Christ. This is where all true freedom begins. You see, because of Adam's sin back in the garden, every person ever born since that time, with the exception of Jesus Christ, because he was God in the flesh, every person ever born has inherited a sin nature and is in bondage to the sin nature that they have. 
You know, I'm so tired of hearing people blame God for the way the world is. It's not God's fault the world is the way it is. It's sinners' fault, okay? It's sinners' fault. You see all the things going on in the world and this country uh, rattling their sword about this and doing this and shooting this down and wanting to make advances. You know, on our vacation, we were at Pearl Harbor and just that whole thing. And I, I can remember mentioning to my wife, now this, this may sound childish to some of you, forgive me. It may be simple, but it's not simplistic. Why don't people just leave each other alone? Do you understand what I'm saying? If people had the mentality of, you know what, I'll just leave you alone. I am not going to impose. I'm not going to try to take away what you have. I'm not going to try to take over your land. I'm not going to try to wipe out your people. Just leave people alone in that regard. But here you've got had First World War, Second World War, Korea, Vietnam, all the different things that have taken place over, over time. Why? Because people just can't be satisfied with what they have. They have to try to control and take over other people. You know what that is? That's the sin nature that causes that. It's the sin nature in us that causes that. Because if you're godly, your desire is to give, not take. But we don't live in a godly world. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, it says this, Wherefore is by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Do you see it there? For by one man, who was that one man? That one man, according to Scripture, is referring to Adam. As by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and notice this, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We are born sinners. We inherit a sin nature, all right? And we sin because we're sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. As the late Dr. Hudson used to say, it's as natural for a man to sin as it is for a dog to bark or a cat to say meow. This is why many people are so miserable today and they don't know why they're miserable, but they are. And so what do they do? They try to fix their misery through drugs, through medication, through drinking alcohol, through entertainment, through immoral living, through materialism, and still come up short. None of it satisfies. Oh, it may medicate, it may dull the pain of life for a while, but it doesn't fix the problem that we have. See, the problem is sin. That's the problem we have. And this is at the root of this. Comes up short. Why? Because they're in bondage. They're in bondage. Many of us do not even realize it because it is all that we've ever known in life. Do you know the vast majority of mankind doesn't even understand he's in bondage, doesn't know why he feels the way he does, doesn't understand why life is so miserable, why they've got pain of one kind or another. Now, yes, I understand that may have come from the outside, but nevertheless, we're having to deal with it, right, on the inside. I think of myself growing up in a religious home. I thought I was a pretty, pretty okay person. I did not know, and you may be here today in this situation, I did not know I was under the burden of sin. I didn't know it, okay? 
But in August 1972, I heard what we're going to be covering in just a moment, the gospel of the grace of God. I heard how I could have eternal life, how I could be forgiven. And I understood it, and I put my faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior, and I know it's not this sensation or this experience for everybody, so I'm not saying if you don't go through this, you're not saved. I'm not saying that. But for me, when I trusted Christ, it was like a piano had been lifted off my back. Why? Why did I feel that? Do you know why I felt it? Because I was in bondage and I didn't know it. Because I was under the burden of sin. Because I was incarcerated by my sin. Look with me to chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. It says in verse 10, I want you to pay close attention because you may be here today and you might think, you know what, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good person. I, you know, I try to be a good parent. I try to keep the law and I try to do good things, and I try to be religious, and in all these things, and you may think you're okay. Well, can I tell you, friend, and I say this in kindness and love, according to God, you're not okay. You're not okay. I'm going to play with the language a little bit here. You're measuring your okayedness by other people. You're not measuring it by God. Because when you measure it by what God says, you realize, hey, I'm not okay. You got to come to grips with this. Because this is going to affect where you're going to spend forever. So listen closely. Romans 3 and verse 10, it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. That includes you and me. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Okay, on their own, they don't. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. This is what God says. God says we're sinners. God says we're under bondage. God says we are, as we're going to see, we are guilty. And when God looks at you and he looks at me, he says, you are not righteous. You have to be 100% righteous to get into heaven. And you're not righteous. You can't make it the way you are. Now, now wait, I'm, I'm not so bad. Well, that's not according to what the Bible says. How does all this work? The first thing I want to mention today is this. We are guilty and condemned according to what God says. Okay? Again, we don't measure this by other people around us. You can find somebody lower on the social scale and moral scale than you are. That's not hard to do. But that's not the scale that God goes by. That's not the standard. God's standard is 100% perfection. And guess what? None of us are there because the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. We've inherited the sin nature through Adam. Therefore, we are guilty as we are going to say. Well, I'm not so bad. Well, according to the Bible, yes, you are. Yes, you are. And so am I. According to the Bible, all sin is an abomination to God. It's repulsive to God. See, we don't talk about this enough. People say, well, don't bring this part up because it turns people off. (laughs) Let me say this. (laughs) If you don't understand your need, you'll never put your faith in Jesus Christ. We are guilty, friends. We are guilty. Not only that, you notice we are condemned. Romans chapter 3 and verse 19, it says, now we know that what things soever the law saith, 
the commandments of God, it saith to them who are under the law, watch this, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. All the world, according to God, is guilty. When God looks at us, you know, people say today, you ask them, are you going to heaven? When you, oh, yes, why is that? Well, you know, I do my best to keep the commandments. Let me ask you this, have you ever broken one of the commandments? Well, yeah, I, I've done that. God says you're guilty then. You're, you are guilty, okay? If you're in this courtroom, he would pronounce you as guilty. And there's a penalty, a payment, a wage that you've earned, a punishment, if you want to call it that, that has to be paid. Verse 20, it says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, keeping the commandments. Do you see this? By the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. That includes you. That includes me. Why? We violated his law. That's why we've broken his law. So if you're going to say, well, I have to keep the law to get to heaven. I have to keep the commandments to get to heaven. Who has kept the commandments? Well, no one has. Therefore, if that's what I have to do, I failed. If I failed, I am guilty. I have broken God's laws and commandments. Therefore, I stand condemned in his sight. And so do you. So do you. We are condemned. Look at this. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. You see, the law, the commandments of God, they're a perfect standard. A perfect standard. When we look at the law and we look at the commandments and we say, okay, if you think that's what you need to do, that's how you have to live to go to heaven, well, none of us do. Therefore, we're guilty. We've broken the law. Therefore, we stand condemned. See, that, by the way, is why the law was given. People think today, let me me just touch on this. People think today that you go to heaven by keeping the law. No, the law was given to show us that we failed. Did you know that? A lot of people don't know that. Read Galatians chapter 3 sometime. Read Romans 3 here. And chapter 3, chapter 4 of Romans. It's very, very clear in Scripture, my friend. Uh, James 2.10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. Of all. Well, we're guilty and condemned, but not only that, Here's the beauty of it. See, that's the bad news. Here's the good news. Because of God's love for us, he has provided a solution to our guilt. He has provided a solution to the condemnation. He has provided a solution to the bondage that we are under and that we are in. Jesus died in our place for our sins as a substitute for us. This is the beauty of what Jesus Christ has done. Two men who had been friends and companions in their youth met in a police court. The one on the magistrate's bench, the other in the prisoner's dock. The case was tried and the prisoner was found guilty. Would the judge in consideration of their friendship years before forbear to pass judgment? No. He must fulfill his duty. Justice must be done the law of the land obeyed. He gave out the sentence, 14 days hard labor or a fine of $500. The condemned man had nothing to pay, so the prison cell was before him. But as soon as he had pronounced the sentence, the judge rose from the bench, 
threw aside his magistrate's robes and stepped down to the dock, stood beside the prisoner, paid his fine for him, and then said, now John, you are coming home with me to supper. Folks, it is that way with those of us who are sinners, which is for all of us. God cannot overlook sin. Justice must be done. And the sentence pronounced, but Christ himself paid the debt. And for all who will trust in Christ, you then are set free from the bondage. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of the message. I'm telling you, I've never gotten over it and I never will. As a matter of fact, you are going to be reminded of it forever because according to the book of Revelation, the one name that Jesus will be known for throughout all eternity more than any other is the lamb. The lamb referring to the payment he made as the substitutionary sacrifice for you and me. Go back to chapter 5 of Romans. Romans 5. Again, because of God's love for us, he has provided a solution. See, God's justice demands a payment. We are guilty. We deserve to be punished. We deserve to go to hell. But God so loves us that he himself entered the human race. God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he went to the cross and he paid the debt that we owe. And he paid for all of our sins. Romans 5 verse 6, it says, for when we were yet without strength, do you see that? Unable to solve the problem. For when we were without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now that's you and me. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. The word righteous man here has the idea of fair and decent. Scarcely for a fair and decent man would one die. Yet peradventure for a a good man, some would even dare to die. A good man here is one who's known for his, his goodness or his good works towards other people. Scarcely for one of them would somebody die. But look at this. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet not righteous, not good, but sinners, sinners, we are saturated with wickedness. We're sinners. We're guilty. We're condemned. When God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus does not say to you, you know what? You need to turn from all your sins. You need to be sorry for all your sins. You need to forsake your sins. He doesn't say that to be saved. He says this, you are a sinner. You are in bondage. I came to set you free because you are without strength. And that's what Jesus did. He went to the cross and he made that payment for you and me. This is absolutely amazing. Go back to chapter three. Romans three and verse 21. It says, but now, and here's what we need, the next four words, the righteousness of God. Your righteousness, my righteousness, is as filthy rags in the eyes of God. We're sinners. We're tarnished. We're messed up. We're without strength. We can't do anything to save ourselves. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, made known. 
being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, or in Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that do what? You notice the next word. Believe. Believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat, and our ship is going down. Jesus came to be a savior. And when you trust in him that he paid for your sins, you believe. That's what the word believe means, to trust in or rely upon. When you trust in him that he paid for all your sins, he saves you. He gives you his righteousness. This is a marvelous thing. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God Verse 24, being justified, declared righteous, notice the terms, freely, by his grace, unmerited kindness. Folks, this is the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is not a brute, not a tyrant, not a meanie, not unfair, okay? He is a God of holiness, a God of justice, but he's a God of grace and love and mercy, And because Jesus Christ satisfied the payment, he provided a payment for our sins so we don't have to do it. And when we trust in him that he did that for us, he gives us freely. You notice the word? It says it there, right? Verse 24, freely, without cost, by his grace, his unmerited Kindness. By the way, freely and grace always, always, always go together. If it's by grace, that means it's undeserved and it's not something we can merit. If it's not something we can merit and we don't deserve it, then how do we receive it? It has to be on the basis of a gift. A gift. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption That is in Christ Jesus, referring to the payment Jesus made for our sins, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. That's a beautiful Bible word. I wouldn't use a Bible that doesn't use the word propitiation. It's a word that is rich in meaning, okay? It means the the payment that satisfies, the payment that satisfies, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission, forgiveness of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him who does what? Promises to behave, promises to be good, promises to get baptized, promises to keep the commandments, promises to not sin anymore. No, 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 no. We've already blown it, we are condemned, we can't help ourselves, therefore we are helpless, and we need somebody, if if we're going to get to heaven, somebody else is gonna have to do it. And that is what Jesus did. The justifier of him which believeth in Jesus, that's all you can do to be saved, is to believe in him as the one who paid for your sins. Where is boasting then? I love that, I love that. What do we see? Review, students. We are guilty. We are condemned. We can't save ourselves. We don't have a chance. 
God is holy, I am not. He has pronounced me guilty. My sins must be paid for. I can try to be good, but I got to be perfect. Therefore, I blew it already. And then Jesus Christ enters the picture because of his great love for me and for you. God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus paid the price. He did the work. He was the perfect man. Perfect man. No sin. That's why he could be our substitute. And he made the payment. He paid it. He said he did it. He said it's finished, paid in full. And he rose from the, gred, uh, from the dead to prove it was done. And when you put your faith in him that he did that for you, he saves you that moment by his grace. He gives you everlasting life. He promises he'll never lose you. He'll never cast you out. And so if it's all what he did, verse 27 makes total sense, doesn't it? Where is boasting then? <laughs> You think you're going to get to heaven and be able to strut around and say, whoo, boy, I'm here because I was better than my neighbor. No, you'll only have one message. I'm here by the blood of the lamb. It's because of what Jesus did. I've been saved by grace. There'll be no boasters in heaven. It's all what Christ has done. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith, verse 28, therefore we conclude. I love a good conclusion, by the way. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith in Christ without, what an important word, without, apart from the deeds of the law. Folks, this is why this message that is so popular today, we call it lordship salvation or discipleship salvation. The idea of, well, it's by faith, but you also have to live a godly life too. No, it says it's without works, without the deeds of the law. Well, that's the deeds of the law, but good works are necessary, people say. No, friend, there's no higher standard of works than the law. It manifests the very character of God. And the Bible says, therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Which leads us to our last point. When we trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior, we are forgiven and receive everlasting life. That moment, we become the children of God. John 1, 12 says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. To them, even to them that believe, there it is again, faith, believe on his name. When you trust Christ, listen carefully, getting back to the very beginning today, when you trust Christ, you are freed from the bondage of sin. You are out of sin prison when you trust Christ. When we trust in Christ, we are free from condemnation and we are free from the bondage of our sin nature. What does that mean on a daily basis? That means that we no longer have to yield to sin in our lives. This produces real freedom. Now, do we yield to sin? Yes, we do, because we still sin once we're saved. But God is saying, listen, I've not only taken care of your sin for eternity, I've taken care of this thing. You're, you're free. Do you get it? You're free. Getting back to the illustration of being let go from prison. God has let us out. 
What insanity it is for us to get out. And by the way, people do this today in a physical prison. And they look around and they get spooked and they say, you know what? I'm, I want to go back. I want to go back. So they commit some crimes to go back. Why? Well, because in jail you get a bed and you get free meals. Okay? Free to you, not free to the taxpayer. You know what God says to those of us who have trusted Christ? He says, listen, you've been set free of the bondage you were in. The bondage of sin has been broken. You're a child of God. I've given you eternal life. You can never be lost now that you're saved. And he says, I want you to live in that freedom that I've provided for you. Don't go back under the bondage of sin. You've been set free from that. By the way, we don't have time to read it, but read Romans 6 sometime. Unbelievably powerful, okay? We no longer have to yield. We have been provided real freedom. You see, friend, if you don't have spiritual freedom, you don't have the most important freedom that there is. Romans 4, in verse 5, it says this, But to him that worketh not, you don't work. But to him who does not work, that's the way we would say it today in modern English, but to, but to him that does not work, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. And we're all ungodly. Notice what God counts for righteousness? Faith. His faith is counted for righteousness. Look up here. Let me illustrate this. This hand representing you and me and my wallet, our sin. We're all sinners. We've seen it. God loves us though. He hates our sin. To get to heaven, you have to be sinless. None of us are. God says our sin, we are the ones who have committed it. Our sin has to be paid for. Every sin is an abomination to God. If we pay for our sin, we'd be lost forever in hell, suffering for our sin. We deserve that. We deserve that. I said, well, I'm not so bad. No, my friend, listen. Anybody who says I'm not so bad does not understand how God sees sin. One sin is enough for you to spend rightfully forever in hell. That's how serious God is about it. See, because our world is out of control, again, it's not God's fault. His word has not changed. Here we are as sinners. If we die without Christ as our Savior, trusting him as Savior, we'll be lost forever. No good works will pay for sin because the wages of sin is death. That's why Jesus came, this hand representing him. He came and he died on the cross and he made the complete payment for sin and he rose from the grave three days later. All sin's been paid for. All he's asking you to do is believe, trust in him that he made that payment for you. He'll give you everlasting life. Does that mean I just, I just once I trust Christ, I just go out and, and live in sin? Well, let me say this. That would not forfeit your salvation. But why would you do such a dumb thing? Jesus came to set us free. <laughs> Again, you get let out of prison and you want to go back? What sense is that, right? Now, every time we sin, again, we do. That's because we're not so bright. But you know what? God has provided salvation as a gift. You mean to say, I trust Christ, I'm saved, no matter what, no matter what. God loves you that much. He'll save you. It's a gift, no strings attached, but you must put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Romans 4, 5, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him, that justifies the ungodly. That's the Lord. He's the one who justifies the ungodly. That's us. 
His faith is counted for righteousness. Nothing else. God is looking for simple faith in what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. And when you put your faith in him, in him alone, he'll give you eternal life. If you've never trusted Christ, would you do it today? The freedom of trusting Christ as Savior, it is the key to freedom. It is the foundation of all real freedom. All the rest is temporary. We're talking about something that's forever. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.